0: Oral questions by members?
1: Member for Kamloops-North Thompson.
2: Thank you, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker. So Mr. Speaker, the average price of most things, as we all know, is is growing at an alarming rate and the used car sector has not been immune to that as well. It it wasn't that long ago that a used car, a good decent used car, was around $6,000 in British Columbia. Today. It's almost $10,000. And now the NDP has decided to change their tax legislation and increase the taxes on those same vehicles. Now, this change, according to the budget book, will primarily impact low- and middle-income families, families that are already struggling to find a way, not just to get a good deal on a car, but struggling to find ways to pay their grocery bill as well. And yesterday, when we asked about this, did the Minister of Finance take any responsibility for the change that she has chosen to make to her tax legislation? No. Instead, she chose to try to characterize these hard-working families trying to get by as tax cheats. Why is this minister purposely changing her tax laws with an end result that harms these low and middle-income families who are struggling every day just to to me the basics for their families.
1: Minister of Finance,
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, we've we've updated reporting requirements requirements around this to be in line with other provinces. All the other provinces have this. And we're, uh, we've done this in order to be in line with other provinces. But I also want to say, Mr. Speaker, you know, we're, we're also seeing, uh, in terms of the used car b- uh, business, um, you know, significant shifts in, 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 in buying uh, in, in purchasing uh, of, of used vehicles. In fact, Mr. Speaker, we're seeing um, a real shift in people being interested in electric vehicles. And that's why, Mr. Speaker, you know, we eliminated the PST on used EVs. On used EVs, Mr. Speaker. In fact, fact, Mr. Speaker, two-thirds of Canadians want their next vehicle to be an EV. And this is, again, helping people to make the right choice. In fact, Mr. Speaker, what I want to to point out is that the Automotive Retailers Association applauds our announcement uh, to remove the PST on used zero-emission vehicles. They say that this will help make the shift to the electric more affordable for all British Columbians, Mr. Speaker. And that's work that we're going to continue to do.
1: Member for Campbell's north Thompson, Supplemental.
2: Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker, but that was a complete evasion of the question. We weren't asking about tax rebates for electric vehicles. We were asking about punitive taxation to low- and middle-income families. With one hand, the minister is increasing the taxes to those same families on used goods, and with the other hand, quite happily making sure she changes her tax legislation—not a loophole—legislation. To make sure her and her cabinet colleagues can secure a $20,000 pay bonus, same budget. That's a pretty life-changing amount of money for most people in British Columbia. That $20,000, but let's look at a real example. Let's look at a real example of what real families trying to buy a good, reliable used vehicle to get around with their families in British Columbia are now facing under this minister's tax changes. There's a 2014 Dodge Caravan listed in Surrey. It's about 150,000 kilometers. We just looked it up. It's now worth around $10,000. Probably was worth around six not too long ago. But as we know, prices have increased. The tax increase on that vehicle, with this tax policy change, with this tax legislation change, will increase the tax on that vehicle by $200. Now, for maybe for ministers who just got a $20,000 raise, that doesn't seem like too much money. But to the vast majority of British Columbians that are $200 away from not being able to pay their bills on any given month, that's a significant change to their affordability. So again, why is the minister so intent with this budget on attacking low- and middle-income families with changes to her tax policies?
1: Minister of Finance.
0: Mr. Speaker, this is about bringing us in line with the rest of Canada, we were lagging behind. Um, But I also want to point out that clearly the member doesn't understand the difference between a tax rebate and removing the PST on an EV. He thinks it's a tax rebate. This is much more different than that, Mr. Speaker. This is about removing the PST on used ZEVs. That's a significant difference for people who want to make a difference to protect the environment and to switch over to electric vehicles.
1: Member for Abbotsford West.
3: Thanks, Mr. Speaker. The ministerial accountability measures that the uh, minister and the premier are now eliminating uh, were actually born out of the uh, fiscal mismanagement and budgetary manipulation. Members, let's let's hear the question, please budgetary manipulation of uh, a previous NDP government. And and Mr. Speaker, for the members opposite who don't seem to want to believe that, there are actually a few remaining colleagues of the ministers who they could consult who will tell them that is true and will remember the day that as a result uh, their party was reduced to two seats in this house. The legislation that the minister is gutting is is actually rooted in the belief that, except in extraordinary circumstances like 2008, like 2020, governments should endeavour to live within their means. And when they don't, there should be accountability visited upon uh, the ministers who are presiding over the government at that time. Why is she eliminating that accountability and why is she providing the Premier and her colleagues with tens of thousands of dollars in raises in the same budget that increases taxes and makes life less affordable for so many struggling B.C. families?
0: Minister? Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, we have ministerial responsibility that will remain, Mr. Speaker, we have a holdback measure to ensure that ministers stick to their budgets. There is an expectation that all of my colleagues will stick to their budgets, Mr. Speaker. We are hanging on to that component part of, of the, of the holdback, but I want to say, Mr. Speaker, you know, the, the deficit holdback measures really do um, send, send the wrong, the wrong message. Uh, You know the the member talked about um, you know what um, using using uh, the the, this measure as a way to do accountability. Well, I have to say, Mr. Mr. Speaker, you know when they were robbing ICBC blind in order to balance their budget so that they could so that they could collect their holdback, Mr. Speaker, that was wrong. That was absolutely wrong. their holdbacks, Mr. Speaker, that was important to them, and the way they did that was by increasing MSP, Mr. Speaker. That's how they collected their holdbacks, Mr. Speaker. Those were choices Those were choices that they made, Mr. Speaker. We're making different choices to invest in people.
1: Member for Abbotsford West, supplemental.
3: Uh, thanks, uh, Mr. Speaker. The, the Minister, I uh, think, it's probably frustrated by the fact that uh, we don't believe her. We don't. We don't explain. We don't uh, believe her explanations. Um, I have the budget. It's. It's not actually the budget that she delivered uh, this week. It's the budget she delivered a year ago. And on page 33, it says this the path to balanced budgets. The province will be working over the coming months to finalize a specific timeline to return to balance. The specific timeline, approach and plan will be presented in budget 2022. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we now have the plan, we have the answer, and the answer is never. Never, Mr. Speaker, contrary to the assurances that uh, the NDP, uh, of the NDP, This minister and this government are committing this province to permanent and ongoing deficits and all of the pain, all of the pain that that will ultimately impose on future generations. And why are they doing it? I'll tell you why they're doing it. I'll tell you why they're doing it. Because it's easy. It's easy and they know they won't be around to clean up the mess because they never are, Mr. Speaker. But it's. Uh, members. Member, continue. It's Mr. S-
1: members, Leslie, let's hear the question, please.
3: It's not just the Premier and the ministers uh, who are being rewarded for this great leap backwards into budgeting unaccountability, Mr. Speaker. Um, in July 2017, the Premier's Chief of Staff, uh, Jeff Meggs, signed on for $195,000. Uh, by order and council dated uh, December 17, uh, 2021, just a few months ago, uh, Mr. Meg's maximum salary was increased from 195,000 dollars to 299,000 dollars. 299 at a time, Mr. Speaker, when British Columbians are paying more for groceries, They're paying more for gas, they're paying more for vehicles, they're paying more for homes. And in a budget where the government is adding to that burden with new taxes and charges, how on earth is the minister prepared to defend a 34% increase in the wages of the Premier's Chief of Staff?
1: Minister.
0: Thank you very much. Members,
1: members, let's, let's listen to the answer.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, it's interesting. The the members on the other side, you know, they increased MSP. They they balanced budgets, Mr. Speaker, on the backs of British Columbians. (laughs) British Columbians paid more so they could give their friends a tax break, Mr. Speaker. And you know what, Mr. Speaker?
1: Just second. Just hold it, Minister. Hold it.
0: And you know what, Mr. Speaker? Continue. Let's hear what Laura Gu, the economist uh, with Scotia Bank, had to say about this budget. The budget confirmed the province's fiscal resilience facing the the past year's health crisis and natural disasters. New spending measures have been announced targeting affordability and health care priorities. But the outlook, has also incorporated substantial contingencies and prudent forecasting assumptions, Mr. Speaker. We are investing in British Columbians. We are investing (laughs) in the-
1: Members, order. Members members will come to order now.
0: We are investing in protecting people and communities. We are making sure, Mr. Speaker, that we have a robust economy going forward, Mr. Speaker, because we invest in people, Mr. Speaker.
4: Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, In January, the Times Colonist published an editorial from Kathy Nash uh, regarding the Ministry of Children and Family Development's decision to take back individual funding for children with autism and instead uh, create so-called hubs. Uh, We've heard the strong opposition uh, to this plan, and we know that Indigenous leaders are taking control of child welfare, making much of what MCFD does uh, redundant. Uh, Nash advanced uh, this theory, quote, Faced with a loss of power in coming years, they want to centralize all services for children with special needs in their own buildings, with greater roles for their own staff. End "Quote," uh, Nash continues. "Quote," instead of more buildings and wait lists and more policies about how to manage those wait lists, MCFD should increase, increase the reach of individual funding for more children. Instead of trying to tear some families down, they could build up more families. End quote." Mr. Speaker, through you to the. Minister of Children and Family Development. Why hasn't she listened to these parents and, rather than entrenching bureaucracy, increase the funding to directly support families of neurodiverse children?
1: Minister of Children and Family Development.
5: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Thank you to the member for the question. Um, I would like to take this opportunity to make sure that everybody is aware that the new services in the new system that's going to be delivered provincially to support all children and youth with support needs is going to be delivered by community agencies, agencies who know their community and who know how to deliver services to families in their communities. Honourable Speaker, members, Budget?
1: Members, please.
5: Budget 2022 signalled the first step in moving towards this new system with uh, an investment of $172 million over the next three years so that we can lay the groundwork for building this really important system to serve British Columbia's vulnerable children and youth. You.
1: Member for sandwich and North Sandra Island, Supplemental.
4: Classic uh, response uh, to child welfare in this province is to find a broken plan from somewhere else and try it here to see if we can make it work. The new plan to grow the Ministry of Children and Families won't be in place until 2025, Mr. Speaker. There are a lot of concerns about a lack of clarity on the plan. It seems like this ministry hasn't mapped out how the system works and is instead uh, leaving families in the dark, Mr. Speaker. In other jurisdictions uh, uh, who've moved to Family Hub's model, Uh, They've done it as a way to keep costs down. Julia Boyle, the executive director of Autism BC, said, quote, One only needs to look at Ontario, where Social Services Minister Todd Smith recently announced their hub-based model failed, and they need to go back and redesign their approach. In the absence of a substantial increase in funding and service providers, the MCFD is likely to rely on gatekeeping procedures, end quote. Mr. Speaker, while children are suffering, this Minister of Children and Families is engaged in bureaucratic shuffling. The Minister says children need more services, but must fund and deliver it, not spend millions of dollars reorganizing and disrupting services to our children. Families are experiencing crisis right now, and instead of giving and investing $25 million into a make-work project for a ministry seeking relevance, wouldn't it be better to invest that money now in actual supports for children with disabilities?
5: (laughs) Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, every year since we formed government in 2017, our government has made choices and invested more funding into the Ministry of Children and Family Development. In fact, Budget 2022 included an historic first-time investment in a cross-government system of supports for young, young people leaving the system of government care. I'd like to reassure families that we are listening to them. We're continuing our engagement sessions. Members. Nothing is changing immediately, Honourable Speaker. We're investing in early implementation areas and we'll continue working with service providers and community agencies as we make that transformation. We are a different government here in British Columbia. We listen to British Columbian families. Our values are to make the choices of investing in children and youth. Our government makes the choices of investing in families, unlike other governments and unlike the other side when they were in government.
1: Member for Carrie Buchel-Corton.
6: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There's an important deadline coming March 1. That's the deadline for British Columbians to register or risk losing access to groundwater. The government has bungled along, failing to communicate to farmers, ranchers and small business owners who are at risk of losing precious water rights in this province. The NDP has simply failed to properly reach out to those who are being impacted. The latest numbers show that only one. In five historical groundwater users has actually applied for continued use, Mr. Speaker. That means thousands of people could lose access to water in this province. I and colleagues have written to the ministry. This is one last plea, Mr. Speaker, on behalf of thousands of ranchers, farmers, and small businesses throughout British Columbia. Will the minister do the right thing and extend the deadline, or will these users be cut off?
1: Minister of Forests and Lands.
7: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I thank the member for the question because it is a a good question and it's one that the ministry has been dealing with. And I will remind the member that this process started in 2016 under the previous government. And the reality is it is challenging work, and the ministry has reached out to many organizations to help with this process. Um, There have been some extensions of of the deadline, and and we found that people said and people that are working, like we've worked with the um, BC Cattlemen's Association, the BC Groundwaters Association, the the Agriculture Council, to encourage their members to sign up. And One thing that the people from these uh, uh, industry organizations told us is that people expect us to just keep delaying the obvious, just keep delaying that we are going to implement this. And so We have reached out to people. We have sent out uh, packages to MLA's offices. We have sent out uh, many, many app- uh, support to people. We have hired additional people to help people with the application process. In fact, we had to change the… We had to change the application process because it was so complicated when it was first implemented in 2016. We have heard from people like the BC Calumet Association that it is a lot easier… We don't want to hear the answer. We have heard from people like the BC Cattlemen's Association that it is far simplified now, the process. So we are still working on that. We have people helping them to do that. We are finding that the majority of people who who are the big users are saying they are going to sign up. We are hoping that they will do that. We understand the issues and we are working on it.
1: Opposition House Leader.
8: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, All of us agree on the need for increased access to integrated mental health and wellness services for young people. Uh, In fact, in 2015, the previous government created the Foundry program to provide mental health care, substance use services and family peer supports for youth aged 12 to 24 in physical locations all across British Columbia. Now even the NDP agreed with the positive impact that these physical foundry uh, centres have had on our youth and and expanded the program uh, post-2017. Last year, the NDP promised to further expand uh, this program uh, uh, this year and add four more foundry centres in physical locations next year. However, despite the mental health and wellness needs of our youth being greater today than ever before, imagine our shock to find in this budget that the centres that were supposed to open this year have been delayed to 2025, and the four new centres that were supposed to open next year, well, they're just not in the budget at all. So my question uh, to the minister responsible is very clear. Why is that?
1: Minister of Mental Health and Addiction.
9: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, The safety, the mental health of young people is of vital importance to the province, to our government. It's at the centre of our Pathway to Hope plan. If we invest in young people early in their lives, whether that's early psychosis intervention, whether it's early years investment in community for mental health um, with wraparound services, in a multitude of ways, we're investing as a province in young people and their mental health in ways that have never been done before. Uh, The pandemic has hit such a blow to families, to young people, and also to the healthcare system and social service organizations that are implementing. So we do not underestimate the need to do more and, and how hard everybody's working on the front line. So 11 foundry locations have opened already in British Columbia, Campbell River, Victoria, Kelowna, North Van, Prince George, Vancouver, Terrace, Penticton, Vancouver, Maple Ridge, Pitt, Meadows, and Abbotsford. These are centers, physical centers, where young people uh, can can be connected with primary care, with sexual care, with substance use support, with mental health counseling. Also during the pandemic, moved in an unprecedented way to offer virtual foundry supports, and there's a Foundry BC app. Young people can get same-day crisis help or even next-day counseling. So locations in the works are Burns Lake, Comox Valley, Cranbrook, Langley, Squamish, Surrey, Port Hardy, Williams Lake, all announced, all underway for implementation. Last year's budget, um, it funded four more foundries. The, we are working with the people with lived and lived experience on the ground to identify those next locations. Nothing has changed from last year's budget um, about the timing of those openings. We've got more centres uh, coming up where young people will be able to walk in, and then more, four more locations that will be announced in the future. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs>
1: House leader supplemental.
8: Uh, Well, Thank you Mr. Speaker. Well uh, to the minister, uh, no one uh, believes anything that you just said, they, they, what you've said does not line up with what's actually in your, your ministry's service plan uh, or what's actually in the budget. Uh, look, you know, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to walk, uh, walk the minister through uh, through her own service plan. Uh, the, the service plan from, from last year, uh, on page 10, page 10, laid, laid out the targets. It laid out the targets for, for, for uh, new physical foundry centres that would be opening this year and four new ones that would be opening beginning next year. On, on page 11 of the service plan for this year, again, that's page 11, the, the foundries that were supposed to uh, open this year, every single one of them has been pushed to 2025. That's in, that's in her service plan. You should read it. <laughs> and, and, as I said in my initial question, the, the, the four additional foundries that were, uh, have been promised to communities like Kamloops and Nanaimo and others, uh, they don't appear in the service plan at all. They, they've been pushed right out. In fact, uh, last year, uh, I specifically asked the minister, during uh, her budget estimates, uh, about the status of, uh, of, of these additional f- uh, foundry centres. And, and this is what the minister said to me, and I quote Budget 2021 provides additional funding for four more centres starting in 2023. That's next year. Communities like Kamloops and Nanaimo should dust off their applications, end quote. I mean, there was great, great uh, uh, reason for optimism, despite the fact that communities like Kamloops and Nanaimo have been passed over in six consecutive budgets now. Uh, Kamloops, uh, the community I represent, is the largest city outside of the Lower Mainland that doesn't have a, a, a foundry. And regrettably, there doesn't appear to be a path for, for the city of Kamloops to, to have one anytime soon. So, again, to the minister, with the mental health needs of, of youth being more acute, more prevalent in communities across the province, more, more so than ever before, why? Is she not following through on her commitment, government's commitment, to opening up these additional foundries as originally planned in last year's budget for this year and the four new centres in communities like Kamloops and Nanaimo next year?
1: Minister.
9: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Nothing has changed in our funding commitment. Nothing has changed in our budget. Uh,
1: Members. And- Members, members, hold it. Thank you, Members of Opposition. Question was asked. Member for Abbotsford West, please. Minister will continue.
9: I cannot underestimate the impact on frontline social service organizations, on our health authorities, on our health care system to implement the unprecedented budget that we are putting into mental health and addictions. There's never been so much spending. The timeline for the foundries that were the eight locations that are in the works, funded uh, during our previous term of government under my predecessor, uh, the First Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Judy Darcy, those haven't been able to open during the pandemic at the pace that we wanted. Uh, Nothing has changed in our funding commitment, and the service plan uh, represents what we think is the the outside time that we would be able to open them, but the funding is there. And if we can uh, accelerate beyond the service plan, we absolutely will. We know how much the supports are needed. We know how much young people rely on them. That we were able to open the Foundry virtual, the Foundry app. This has been years in the making. Young people are being connected with these services and there's much more for us to do.
1: Member for Surrey White Rock.
10: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And the minister gets up in this house and says nothing has changed. She gets up in this house and says nothing has changed. Clearly, the minister is either not reading her service plans or can't follow the service plans because there is constant change with this ministry. I'll give an example. It's not just Foundry, it's the same thing with the integrated child and youth mental health teams. And Maybe this will be new to the minister, but the target was for 15 teams across the province this year and 20 teams by 2023. The minister just said nothing has changed, but the new target only 10 this year. There's no mention of 20 teams. Page 10 of the budget of 2021, and I quote, expand the number of foundry centres to 23 by 2324, and expand the number of integrated child and youth teams from five to 20 teams across BC by 2324. 24 end quote. A year later, there is change. There is change affecting British Columbians every day. When we are losing six a day to this crisis, and this minister gets up in this house and says nothing has changed, the priorities of this government have changed. Can this minister get up in this house today and defend these cuts?
1: Minister.
9: Mr. Speaker, the crisis of mental health and substance use facing families and young people in British Columbia has never been worse. And there has never been so much invested in this system. And nothing has changed in our budget commitment In our budget commitment, nothing has changed. $97 million invested in last year's budget. The the integrated child and youth teams, which were previously announced for five communities across the province, are bringing together
1: Minister will continue.
9: For a government on the other side that gutted services for a decade for the most vulnerable children to not even have the respect to listen to the answer is surprising. child and youth teams bring together people from the education system, from Ministry of Children, Family and Youth, from the health authorities and from community service organisations. And we will implement them as quickly as we
1: can. Order please, order. Members, all members. Order. Minister.
9: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The systems change to implement integrated child and youth teams has never been done before, and we will not lead families astray about the complication of putting those teams together, and we will get them up and running as soon as we can. And that is the commitment of our budget and of my service plan.